flowers out or to to do what you know that she that she saw it as her you know as a duty to continue to honor the one who had given her so much so yeah I haven't thought about the mansplaining part but that's probably because I'm a man so it's good to have <laughs> the female perspective as well well I'm glad I can bring that <laughs> oh boy welcome to the inaugural episode of all set for Sunday a podcast to help busy and distracted parents to be a little more prepared for Sunday mass since you'll be spending most of your time chasing toys from under the pew or changing dirty diapers or since most of our churches are not open on this particular Sunday whatever shiny object might be distracting you from your own home. My name is Scott Williams. My co-host is my good friend, Jeff Trailer. Each week, until your kids start behaving, we're going to chat with a priest about his thoughts and our thoughts on Sunday readings, and that way you'll be all set for Sunday. This week, we talk with Father Tim Wichiscala about stepping into the shoes or sandals of the beloved disciple as he runs to the empty tomb. We hope that you'll find this episode to be as enjoyable as it is informative. Here we go. Now, as we all know, the people who know the best about this sort of thing in the church are the lay people. Um, so Scott and I want to give you kind of that lay person's take uh, real quick on these readings. Scott, what were your uh, what are your big takeaways here? What do you what does your all knowing mind tell you about the readings this week and what you need to know about them? Yeah, there, there's two things that really popped out to me, especially from from the gospel, is that. Uh, you know, I've been trying to figure out what it means to have a a good prayer life as a, a parent of a toddler. Um, and it seems like every single time I try to wake up early and have some quiet time, uh, my son wakes up about 15 minutes after that. But uh, the two things that, that really popped out to me was that Mary Magdalene came early in the morning to 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 go visit the tomb. And like, that was, uh, to me saying also, you know, we, that I really need to figure out whether that means waking up at five 30 in the morning and developing a really, uh, quiet time in my life where I can spend time in prayer, reflecting and, and, uh, spending some time being close to God. Uh, and then the second one was that, it was kind of a competition to get to the, to the, to the tomb first. Um, that when, when the news had spread that the, the tomb was empty, that people ran. Yeah, I, I felt similar. I really, in my dumb brain, my dumb lay brain, I, uh, my real focus in the gospel is on those human interactions and like the awe of what they're encountering. First, Mary Magdala to show up see the tomb is empty and then just take off running. Like, of course you would be scared. Of course you would not know what's going on. See but then, out. like you said, the reaction to be in the other direction of when the disciples hear this, they just take off as well and run there. And, but they don't go in right away, right? Like they, the first disciple gets there, he bends down, he sees it very little cost. I imagine him kind of peeking around the corner, just trying to see what's going on. Um, well, but would you I go in? I, no, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. So, I yeah, I think the awe of the, of the humans who are encountering this, who had been told this would happen and who knew this would happen, but the emotion they had been going through for the last week and the morning that they were probably still in, and then to show up and just be like, what? Like, how is this possible? So, um, I think... 
beyond our understanding, though, Scott, it's always important that maybe we lean to the church as well uh, and try to engage in the church in this understanding. And what better way to do that than a priest who's going to be preaching about this on the weekends anyway. So each week we'll uh, welcome priests onto the podcast here to give us uh, the real cheat sheet, the thoughts, their thoughts on what's going to be going on. Um, so this week we're excited to welcome Father Tim Wichascala, the pastor of St. Mark, the Evangelist Parish in Indianapolis, um, also a canon lawyer for the Archdiocese, and all-around decent human being. So Father Tim, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank Love you very much for that great introduction. Appreciate <laughs> it, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be your inaugural guest on this little podcast that you have going. Well, Father, uh, you have heard the two-minute drill. You've heard our expert interpretations here. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a sense of? We don't want to hear your homily. Um, if we want to do that, we'll tune in on Sunday. But we do want to hear a sense of if priests are looking at these readings, if they're starting to try to help their congregations understand what's going on here. What are they focusing on? What are they going to be talking about? Well, the first thing that, you know, there is, um, especially when we have a gospel reading from John's gospel, there's a few things that priests that that were kind of taught or that we kind of get used to that are kind of like tricks for a homily or little shortcuts for a homily. And anytime in John's gospel, especially, he makes it easy when he mentions this beloved disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved which on one level is supposed to be John himself. And, but for a homily purpose, you can always say we're the beloved disciple. So you put the, you put the people as that character. And then to be honest, then John writes sneaky, the sneaky. at that point. And because the, this know, is why and, all priest homilies sound the same. Yeah. Cause we all learn these little tricks in seminary. So it says that Peter, you know, that Mary Magdalene gets there first, but she, you know, that she, she runs and then Peter gets there, or sorry, that this beloved disciple gets there before Peter. I always like to think of that as just a little dig from John to the Prince of the Apostles that he got there first. Of course, on a deeper <laughs> theological level, it is he is not weighed down by the sin and guilt of having denied Christ. He stayed with him at the cross, so he is lighter on his feet as he approaches the tomb than Peter, who is yet to, <clears throat> who is yet to receive that forgiveness from Christ for denying him and fleeing from the crucifixion he gets there second oh, that's wait deep. i think it, that is deep my my immediate when i was reading the gospel i scrolled back up to just see who who the writer was again and as soon as i saw it was john i knew that disciple was john because in the most bro way possible he made sure that if he was writing this he yeah. was going to let people know how much faster he ran <laughs> and i'm sure I'm sure the Prince of the Apostles came back later and said, well, but I was weighed down with all of that sin and I had betrayed him. But if I hadn't done that, where would we be? Well, you know, and John acknowledges his primacy. He, he lets Peter go in first. Peter is the first one in. He's just not the first one there. It's kind of, yeah, it, it is interesting that that's even mentioned. Well, I got there first, but I was, I was polite enough to wait for him to get there. And maybe it was Peter just wasn't as good a runner as John. Who knows? But you can make it. I think John, I think John makes that very clear. You can make it deep and say, no, John wasn't wait. He stayed with Christ. He wasn't weighed down by guilt. Or it but, scared the crap out of him that he didn't want to go in by himself. What, would you go too. in by yourself? <laughs> That could be too. He was younger. Peter, Peter was, I always assume was older and more burly. So he was probably braver. He went in. See, I I think, I think him not going in was less about waiting for Peter because Peter was 
the leader of the apostles. I think it was more about like, I mean, I'll just, I'll just wait and see until other people are here and then we can go in together in that way. You <laughs> yeah, know, we'll just make sure. I mean, I'm cool. If you're cool, you know, <laughs> there's two of us to go into this old tomb that's been opened suddenly. Yeah. But then obviously, you know, as I said, to, to make it more flowery and more of a homily, we're the beloved disciples. So we, we run to the tomb to experience, you know, to experience the sight of this empty tomb. That's what Easter is. We all come to the empty tomb on Easter above all days. I mean, really, we do that every time we have mass, but above all on Easter and we get there and year after year, we are reminded of the fact, you know, of the fact that this resurrection has taken place. Another thing I'll tell you though, and to be, to be honest, you know, this is your, your first podcast for this. And on any, you know, on any normal weekend, the readings are really, you know, a priest homily is very specific on what the reading is saying, what the first reading is saying in connection to it. If St. Paul's letter plays in, although I'll be honest, a lot of times it's, it's on a different track. So you, you have to pick between either the letter or the first reading in gospel. But for days like Easter and Christmas, Pentecost, the church's big holidays, I at least generally have a homily more about the day than specific to the reading. You know, the day's about the resurrection. There's different accounts from different gospels on, on how they found out on who, you know, all these different accounts. But, you know, on big days like Easter, my homily at least is more focused on what that day means to us rather than getting really specific into the nitty gritty of the readings, unlike the other weekends. Does that make sense? It does. No, it does. Let me ask you this though, like on, on a typical Easter, when, um, when we go to a church, actually, not watch it live streamed on our, on our television. Oh, yeah, there is um, like, are you, are you preaching to the people that come every week? Or are you preaching to uh, the people that have been away and maybe they only come Christmas and Easter? That's a good, that's a good point because your, your audience is much different on Easter and Christmas than it is on a normal week. And I would say we have to acknowledge the people who are not there very often, not obviously it's not like I point them out and say, who are you? But but we have to acknowledge the fact that they're there. So it is more of the Easter homily and the Christmas homily. Those two especially are a little more, I I guess the word would be general in the sense that, you know, that they're meant for a, a much wider audience. You have a lot of little kids there. You have a lot of, you know, daily mass goers. And then you have a lot of people who are there, you know, we're honest twice a year. So it does form your homily. You also want Easter and Christmas, of course, are your, your a game homilies. You have to really bring it on those two days. Cause if you have any hope of getting people to, you know, to, to decide to come back more often, a long, boring homily is, is not a good way to start that, you know? So it, and so with that, I tend to keep those two homilies a little bit shorter as well, more punchy. So it's one major point, this is why we're Catholic. This is why we're here. This is the most important day of the year because of the resurrection. All of us are this beloved disciple. We all get to this tomb. We behold the empty tomb. And this tells us that, you know, that, that, that death has lost and that, you know, death's power over us has been defeated. I think that message, especially for Easter, that death has lost its power over us. I can't think of a single human being that wouldn't appeal to that idea wouldn't appeal to that sin can be forgiven and death is no longer that death no longer has the final word. I mean, that's your, your funeral homilies as well for sort of the same reason you have people there that if you were to sum up the Christian message in one thing, 
the power over you know that resurrection and life after death that's our that's our biggest selling point i think so easter is really a good day for that well in in the world of keeping it short and sweet uh if we're going to talk selling point we need those people that put a little something in that collection basket on Easter and Christmas too. So maybe we can get them <laughs> empty in those pockets and we don't want to upset them and drone yeah, and on. You be, you know, some priests, you know, might think that now's the time to scare people and say, you know, if you're not here, you know, then, then, then you don't, you're not a part of this. So I think it's more about give them the positive message, try and hook them in, try and tell them, you know, this is, you know, this is how you have your hope in heaven. And then, yes, we get that, you know, and then that big Easter collection. Now, this year is going to be a little different because this year we're all social distancing. So my homily will be my the audience is probably going to be more your your sort of, you know, regular Catholics, devout Catholics, because they're the ones that are going to tune in. So you have to acknowledge the situation. So it's going to be a lot. You know, what's interesting, though, Father Tim, like I also have I've been thinking about this a lot and. You know, this this particular Holy Week and this particular Easter, um, it's never been so easy in the world to invite someone to join you in, in Holy Week, in, in Easter Easter Mass. Like, you literally, if you're on Facebook Live or whatever, you just hit the share button. True. And, like, I think, I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more people that are going to be – because like there's no ex- there, there's no way to avoid it even like it's Easter and I don't know there's, I just, there's literally nothing else yeah, there's nothing else to do, do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wait I got I I'd be remiss if Father Tim knows my wife well and Scott you do too she's a very bright woman but as I was looking over these readings with her I'd be remiss if I didn't say here we are talking about this beloved disciple who ran and Scott you brought this up earlier but. Mary went first, like Mary and my wife said, this is like the earliest example of mansplaining that we've ever seen where Mary Magdalene gets there first. She was there, but that just casually gets mentioned. Cause it's like, well, she went and told the apostles, but man, then were they excited. So then they ran and they made sure they were there. Um, I think it's, it's funny that she gets overlooked a little bit there, but not enough that she doesn't get mentioned. Well, yeah, I think first one to the tomb. Well, it's just and like you talk about you talk about us coming. Go ahead. Sorry, you go ahead, Father. I was just going to say, also as someone who had been forgiven of so much, those are you know those are the people that that realize the most just how important this is. You know that our forgiveness of sins, which when you experience that, you realize you know how how beautiful it is and how much you want to be near it. So it makes perfect sense to me that she got there first. You know that she that she was so enthusiastic to keep going to be at the tomb. And then, and you know, it it also shows she was, she obviously went to tend to it, to put flowers out or to, to do what, you know, that she, that she saw it as her, you know, as a duty to continue to honor the one who had given her so much. So, yeah, I hadn't thought about the mansplaining part, but that's probably because I'm a man. So it's good to have (laughs) the female perspective as well. Well, I'm glad I can bring that. Um, I, yeah, in some ways I wonder, I don't know, I like to think Mary, Mary Magdalene had such a belief and a devotion to Christ. In some ways I wonder if she went because she, she kind of thought maybe he wouldn't be there. Like she kind of thought that something might be up. I don't know. I think it's not like we know, but I like to play those games in my head. Well, I also it, thought it's interesting, like it, it, there's a very specific point that it, 
it's made that it says while it was still dark like she went when it was still dark and to me like that's what what struck me is like i've been you know, if, if if I want to go and to be with Jesus, I need to uh, spend time like early in the morning before the sun comes up uh, to, to to spend that time with him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I always look into those little details for probably no particular reason. <laughs> All right, Father, I have some dumb questions for you. Can you answer them for me? I will try. I'll try and give you so, dumb answers. Go ahead. <laughs> So you were talking about the second readings and I noticed that like the USCCD list option reading options for this week. Wh- why are there options and how do we know which one to read or why do different dioceses choose different ones? Well, for the, I assume there are options because when they were formulating the, uh, the lectionary in the, you know, drawing from the tradition of the old lectionaries that came before that, you know, both of these readings probably showed up in many of them. <clears throat> and so instead of choosing, they just sort of put them both in so that the, you know, the parishes could choose, the priest could choose. Typically when there's more than one option, it's up to the priest who has that mass on which one to choose. Do you and know which one you're using this week? We're going to use the first option for here at St. Mark, at least um, the option from Colossians. And I'll be honest, for no other reason other than the fact that it is listed first. Um, you know, if if either if there are ever options and one of the two um, speaks, you know, speaks to me um, in a certain way for the homily, then I will choose that one. But if if they both are good, if they both sort of you know are saying what I want people to hear, then I usually just go with the first option. It's probably not the most awesome. simple answer, but <laughs> but it's, well, and you- and you talked earlier about how sometimes when you get into the second reading in the gospel and they don't quite connect, that it can be hard to preach on for you. But do you think it's easier for like good priests? Um, I would say that, that a good priest probably prays with the readings a lot longer than I do. And they pick the one that spiritually speaks. <laughs> on a good I week, said, I do, but, I, I, but if that gets, if that gets overlooked, then it's typically, Hey, which one came first? <laughs> I should, men- I should mention to people that beyond us being friends, Father Tim is my pastor as well, and I reluctantly will admit to him that he's one of the better homilists I've heard. So I just say this all in jest. <laughs> and, I, and I hear that knowing how hard it is for Jeff to admit that. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs> I, you the second thing, Jeff? I do have one other dumb question. Can you talk a little bit about the sequence for this weekend? Yeah. It's something so- different that jumps out in the readings. In the um, in, so in the old rite before Vatican II, sequences um, were you know these sort of long psalms or or prayers that would be sung before before the gospel were much more common. Almost every mass had a sequence. Um, after the council, when they were you know simplifying things, paring things down, and you know sort of re- and reforming the liturgy, uh, the sequences became optional for most of the for most of the year. They're still there. We still have the sequences uh, for almost every Sunday, but the only ones now that are required are Easter and uh, Pentecost and Corpus Christi. Those are the three um, most famous ones. The Easter sequence, which is that hymn of praise, Christians to the Paschal Victim, offer your thankful praise, um, that that has remained. And so it's really just sort of a, a laud or, or a prayer from our tradition um, not from scripture necessarily, but from a prayer that can, that comes out of the liturgy that is sung or recited before the gospel. And, um, you know, just to sort of show the importance of the day and as a little summary of what is celebrated on that day. 
So again, that's Easter and Pentecost and Corpus Christi. You will definitely hear the sequence. If you hear it at another time, the priest is exercising that option, but it is just an option after, uh, beyond those three days. Perfect. Thanks, Father. All right. Well, speaking of sequences, I think the sequence of events has come to a close. Um, I just want to... Yeah, thank you. Uh, Jeff, Father Tim, thanks for... for uh, for having this conversation. I feel like I'm all set for Sunday.